Now please be seated. My friends, uh, Judy and Gail promised that I wouldn't have a heart attack this morning. In thinking about the gospel, I pictured Simon and Peter, or Simon, Peter, and Andrew with their father, and James and John, all along the shore of a major trade route, the Sea of Galilee, all preparing to cast their nets. And then my mind started to wander. I wondered, what were they fishing for? Is fishing a metaphor? Then I thought about fishing in present day, which led my mind to wander a little more about a little novel my book club for fourth to sixth graders had just finished. And like I so often do, I showed the movie version, which the kids usually love. The book and movie is titled Because of Winn-Dixie. It's a story that takes place in a small town where all of the characters are in need of something. Everyone, of course, gets by, but something is missing in each of their lives. Then I thought about us and our society, wondering what are we all in need of? What do we fish for? So I need to give you a little background on me. I'm really very average. I don't have any talents or skills. Not kidding. I don't have any athletic ability. I don't play a sport. I love to hike, but that doesn't require much beyond determination. I don't know how to sew or knit. I have absolutely no artistic ability. I can't paint, draw, or create cool crafts. I don't play an instrument, um, an instrument, but I would love to learn to play the piano when I retire. Nor do I sing, but more on this later. I'm also not a public speaker. So when I received an email from Pastor Ben requesting I give a sermon, I thought the email was to Annette Jefferson in Atlanta, Georgia. Because I, get, because I receive emails addressed to her at least every other week. So I reread the email, checked the address again, and reread the email one more time. Later, I responded, responded to Pastor Ben with something like, I'm honored and shocked that you asked, but I don't have the time to write nor memorize the sermon. Plus, I don't know the Bible all that well. This was way out of my comfort zone. We went back and forth, and he said that I could write about what the gospel meant to me, and that I didn't have to memorize it. So I finally agreed with his supervision and flow charts. He has a lot of flow charts. In the first reading, Paul visits the people of Corinth, Corinth the Corinthians. To put this in geographic sense, Corinth is located in modern-day Greece, about 40 miles west of Athens. During this early time of the young church in Corinth, there was a lot of disunity, immaturity, infighting. People were jealous of each other's gifts. They were divided and competitive. There were a lot of big egos. During the time of Jesus, everyone was under Roman rule. It was a very dark, depressing time. Under Roman rule, 70 to 90% of the people were living in varying degrees of poverty. 70 to 90%. With poverty, you see malnutrition, cholera, 
dysentery. And plus, people were taxed heavily. They felt hopeless. Roman rule equaled darkness, darkness and death. For Peter, Andrew, James, and John as fishermen, they had responsibilities to their families. Their boat, their boat and fathers were everything. A boat meant livelihood, and the father was the connection to the family. Families were vital for survival. If there were injuries or unemployment, the family was there to help. If there were marriages or death, the family was there for support. A family was a safety net. So you can imagine what it was like when Peter's father went home that evening and his wife asked, where are the boys? They didn't know if they were going to return that night, the next day, or ever. There was no retirement plan in this era. Your sons were your retirement. So the young men were fishing. What were they fishing for? Were they just trying to get through their day? Was this just basic survival? In the sweet little book, Because of Winn-Dixie, the main character is India Opal, called Opal. It's just her and her dad. He's a Southern Baptist minister. In the movie, he's played by Jeff Daniels. They move around quite a bit. Opal's mom left, left them when she was just three years old. She misses her mama, and her dad, who she refers to as preacher, misses her too. So they arrive in a new southern town in Florida. They live in a tiny trailer. The preacher leads a tiny church that is located in an old vacant store with folding chairs. In this little town, there's Otis, the singing, shy pet store manager who stays away from people in town because he doesn't trust them as they've labeled him mysterious and a convict. And he's played by Dave Matthews, the musician and singer in the movie. There's Miss Franny Block, the older woman who runs the library her ancestors built. She's the town historian of sorts and also a bit lonely. She tells of a time the town was thriving and people relied on one another. Played by Eva Marie Saint. Then there's Amanda, a 10-year-old peer that Opal feels stuck up. She's not a happy girl. There's the Dewberry brothers, also peers, that Opal feels are annoying, but they too are in search of something. And lastly, there is Miss Gloria Dump, who is nearly blind, isolated, and the kids in town think she's a witch. She's played by Cicely Tyson, just to put it in perspective. Opal is lonely, so is the preacher. You get the picture. The town has lost its luster. Everyone is looking for something, fishing for something, but they don't know what it is. They're so focused on keeping what they have, what is easy and routine, they can't see that there might be something else. One night, Opal prays to God for a friend. I believe there's lots of people who could use a friend. And what about us as individuals? What do we look for? What do we fish for? 
17% of Americans have a problem with drugs or alcohol. Many young people have turned away from faith. We often search or fish for what does not satisfy. We search for validation or approval. We search for status. We search, we search for control. And often we get unhealthy validation. Status not earned, control that is coerced and not respected. We often look to social, me- social media such as Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. We spend more time on our phones or computers or watching TV rather than looking at each other, talking, or holding hands with our loved ones. They say, now more than ever, small children are craving their parents' attention. They just want a few moments, what are called micro-connections. A couple of years ago, I was in Big Bear celebrating Thanksgiving dinner at a restaurant. At a small table to my left was a family of four. There was a mom, a dad, a small child about six or seven, and a toddler in a high chair about two or three years old. The mom was on a phone, the dad was on a phone, The young child was on a phone, and the toddler was on some sort of kid iPad. I remember feeling really sad for the family. On this day, of all days, each was on a screen, somewhat oblivious to each other. So I'm a K-12 teacher at a small school under the umbrella of Glen County Office of Ed. Every day at lunch, the teachers sit around a small table in our little kitchen, And every day, the teachers stare at their phones, swiping away instead of talking to each other, often commenting on how unhappy they are. (laughs) Research shows that with the advent of the smartphone in 2007, there has been a steady increase in depression, anxiety, depression and anxiety, especially in tweens and teens and young adults. 45% of high school students have noted they were depressed over the past year. That's nearly half. Believe me, I see it every day at my little K-12 school. We now have three counselors on staff and are often in crisis mode. We look at others' glossed-over photos and life and compare ours to theirs. For some reason, this leads to more time on our screens which leads to more isolation and loneliness. It has been said that comparison is the recipe for suffering. Our circle of life gets smaller and smaller. Loneliness is killing us in our digitized, disconnected world. We often fish for what does not satisfy us, but we're so focused, we can't see anything else. So remember, Opal prayed for a friend. In the South, there are two grocery store chains that tickle me for some reason. We have Rayleigh's and Safeway. They have the Piggly Wiggly and the Win Dixie. <laughs> Both make me smile when I say their names. If you've been to the South, you've seen or heard these grocery stores. So the day after Opal prays, she's in the produce section of the Winn-Dixie, 
where a commotion is taking place. A scroungy, shaggy, dirty dog is running amok. The produce manager is losing it, yelling at everyone to grab that dog. And I have a clip from that 2005 movie. On the screen. Oh, there he goes! Stop him! Stop him! Hey! He's going around! Look at him! Tracy, go around that! Get the dog! Cut him off! Will somebody grab that dog, please? Somebody grab that dog! Somebody grab that dog! Get him off! There he goes! When Opal hears the manager yelling for someone to call the pound, she claims the dog is hers. The manager doesn't believe Opal, so he asks, what's his name? She looks about for a second and sees the Winn-Dixie logo on an aisle and says his name is Winn-Dixie. When she does, the dog walks over to her. The manager tells her to get out of that store and take her mangy dog with her. Well, the preacher isn't happy about this new stray and tells Opal to put up lost dog signs around town. In the meantime, Winn-Dixie leads Opal to new people in the community. Not gently, but with great disruption. Just like in the grocery store. One by one, each safe but lonelyish life is shaken up. Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him and that he will teach them to fish for men. Some believe that calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John was Jesus' first miracle. Now, I like to believe that I have faith, but I wonder if I was met by a cool dude with long, flowy hair and a robe. I know they all wore robes in those days, but, and that told me to follow him, that he would make me fisher of men. I might think he was on drugs. (laughs) Jesus was totally disrupting their lives, like when Dixie did the people in the small southern town. But they all come to the realization that the disruption is better than what they were fishing for that did not satisfy. I have another clip. so angry. He's hurting, that's why. Everybody's hurting. Makes me feel sad. I want to help him. I just don't know what to do. Well, don't dwell on it, child. Why don't we see what Miss Scarlett's doing? Hmm? I believe she's getting ready for that party. That's what we need to do. Wait, who? We, me and you. We should have a party. Did you think we should have a party when they come We can invite Miss Friend Blog or no, Uncle Preacher. Uncle, don't go in there. Mom, we need to start planning. Opal! Opal! Where are you? 
Don't. That's all. That's all. Those are good. Man, stop it. You cannot have any party here. I haven't had folks in here for years. Just make sandwiches. And Otis can bring his guitar. I said no. And that's the end of it. Miss Franny said the problem with people here is that they forgot how to share their sadness. But what I think is that people forgot how to share their joy. Oh, and Dixie. Oh. Gloria, we need this party. Matthew describes Jesus proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Pastor Ben discussed a few weeks ago, repent means change of mind or turning or facing in a new direction toward God or what God wants for us. We need to turn away from whatever negatively crowds our lives. The young men put down their nets and followed Jesus. When I met with Pastor Ben about this reading, I told him that I was in awe of their faith. Peter, Andrew, James, and John followed Jesus without question. They followed without reserve. Jesus calls them to a different loyalty and way of life. He creates a new community and gives them a new mission. It was a bold move. So what does it mean to be fishers of men? Men meaning mankind. I believe it means to make connections with people. It means to help people see and share their gifts. Paul reminds the Corinthians their love, their call is to love one another. Jesus chose ordinary men to be fishers of men. He did not choose scholars or wealthy people or great leaders. Jesus even calls dogs and little girls. Christ does not require us to have great ability, but great availability. When Dixie and Opal slowly made friends, then brought them together for a party where they made connections and formed a community. And I have just one last clip. Oh, all right. It is lovely. It is beautiful. I feel better. I feel better. So much better. Since I laid my face down. I feel better. So much better. Since I laid my James and John made connections 
and were fishers of men. They started the church, and look what they were able to accomplish. I mentioned earlier that I don't have any talents or skills, but there is one gift that God gave me, and that is people. I really enjoy people, and I love to bring people together. I love to make connections. Now, I know not everyone loves to interact with others as much as I do, but I have an idea. I think it would be great if everyone could make one little micro-connection each month for the next year. Now, I don't mean to check in with that long-lost friend via text. I'm talking about making an effort to make eye contact with the neighbor driving down the street. Maybe make a few cookies to take to a neighbor to say, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. My wife and I just made some cookies, so I thought, so I thought I'd bring you a few. Take it on a plate that you bought at the thrift store, so if it's not returned, it's no big deal. But maybe they will bring it back, and then you've got another opportunity for a connection. People love Trader Joe's. One reason is because the checkers usually go out of their way to ask, what have you got going on the rest of your day? It's just making a connection. But when you leave Trader Joe's, you often leave with a smile. You feel good. Over the holidays, I was in Southern California where my cousin went on and on about how he couldn't wait to go back to the Dutch Bros out by me again. He still remembers the person chatting with him about his day as he ordered coffee two years ago. Now, I know these people get paid to chat, but imagine what we can do with just one micro-connection with someone new each month. In 1938, scientists began tracking Harvard University sophomores. One of the most profound findings was that relationships have a powerful influence on our health. It's about the connections and how genuinely we connect that make the difference in our lives. Connections are the foundation for our emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. Perhaps making a connection with someone new will help their mental health and physical health and spiritual health. Research shows that the average retiree spends 47 hours per week watching television. Many of us watch a lot of TV. I personally love Netflix. (laughs) But maybe during our next Netflix binge, we might call someone to check check in. Just tell them you were thinking about them. Make a mental note to check back in with a follow-up question or a comment a couple of months later. (coughs) We can make connections to younger family members because remember, wisdom isn't taught, it's shared. Now, I know so many of you make these connections all of the time, so I challenge you to do it out of your comfort zone. Fish for connections, because every person has value. It is said that the meaning of our life is to find our gifts. The purpose of life is to give them away. We know God's kingdom is in heaven But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is extended among all of us. For God is in the goodness we share. Amen.